and then as soon as you take chromosome, they're like, oh, so like Down syndrome, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Now that we are into September, we have a new question of the month. This question of the month is a little more complex. It is, what is your favorite toy slash tool slash supply for fill in the blank? This could be for dwarfism, hearing loss, vision loss, autism, low muscle tone, trachs, etc., etc., etc. So when you go to fill out the question, there will be a field that you can fill in to tell us what category your favorite tool, toy, or supply is for. And so um, I think it'll be really great for us to be able to um, share what we have learned as far as things that have been helpful. Um, And this will be also a great um, thing for us to go to, I think, for birthday ideas and Christmas ideas. So I'm really excited to see what you guys see. So head over to the website, therarelifepodcast.com, both to answer September's question of the month and to look through the answers from last month. This is episode 14, The Story of Miller. This is our first ever episode with both parents in the interview, and I really loved it. It was great to have both perspectives, and I'm hoping to be able to um, have that be more of the norm now so that this truly can be a podcast for both parents of children with rare conditions. Um, Today, we have Candace and Sean talking about their son, Miller. They talk about the challenges that come with having an eight-year-old with Angelman syndrome, like navigating non-verbalism, sleep issues, and seizures. They also talk about the prospect of a cure for Angelman syndrome and what that would mean for them and Miller. Candace also shares about receiving Miller's diagnosis when he was almost two years old and while she was going through a divorce. Candace and Sean have five children between them, Miller being the youngest. Sean teaches English as a second language, and he also has a background in film. He created a beautiful mini documentary about their life with Miller. The link to that is in the show notes. His perspective of being a very inclusive and loving stepfather to Miller is really great. Candace is a labor and delivery nurse in Seattle, Washington, and Candace is my cousin, and we have enough age difference um, that I kind of admired her from afar. Uh, Until recently, we had a family reunion where we got to hike together, and we had a great heart-to-heart about our rare sons. It was really fantastic, and I got to know her better, and so this interview was really a treat to be able to talk to her more. Uh, Candace is a lover of naps and helping others, and Sean is a lover of books and creating. Let's get on to our conversation. Hi, Candace and Sean. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, I would love to start out with you telling a little bit about Miller. What is he like and who is he? Um, he is a bundle of energy. Um, he is, um, he literally never stops moving. So he is an explorer and he is a, uh, critical thinker. He loves to figure out how things work and put things together or on top of and open and sometimes break. <laughs> well, most of the time, break. Break, yeah. 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 Um, but he's just, yeah, a bundle of energy. He's just he's just moving and exploring and... Extremely persistent. Yes. If he wants something or knows something is somewhere, mm-hmm. he does not give up. Like and, most toddlers. I mean, he's, that's 
that's kind of how I know he's older than the toddler stage, but really kind of his mindset and the way his motor skills are is very much toddler-like. And so I just liken him to any kind of three or four-year-old, like they're mm-hmm. extremely persistent. If they know something is somewhere, <laughs> they will do anything they yeah. can to get to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the level of like just trying to get into wherever it is or leaning on you, manipulating like, oh, I love you. <laughs> and then slowly like reaching for your phone because yeah. he knows that's how the TV gets turned on. And then, oh yeah. yeah, so it's so it's all different levels. He's, he's extremely smart. There's a lot of stuff going on in there that that uh, he can't communicate the way that we communicate, but he communicates it to us in his own way. <laughs> yes, yeah. very strongly communicates in his own way. Yeah, that's so sweet. And he's, so he's nonverbal, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in our special topic. That'll be really fun to delve into that a lot more. Yes, for sure. It's communication is, I think, our number one Mm -hmm. challenge. Um, Because you just, yeah, I mean, I just, it's such an an integral part of everyone's existence to be able to communicate with those around them. And um, the syndrome that he has, Angelman syndrome, has made it uh, extremely difficult for him to communicate in a, in a verbal way. Um, and so we've had to adapt to a lot of nonverbal communication and, um, find ways that work for him and for us that are sustainable for us. Um, and yeah, that's been a big part of our journey and continues to be. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about Angelman syndrome, at least in his case, like Miller's Angelman syndrome? Right. Um, so Miller has a, so basically he has a, a, um, mutated copy of the maternal 15th chromosome. So how that manifests itself is, um, children with Angelman syndrome are very happy. That's one of the diagnostic kind of criteria for them. It used to be angel. Yeah. Angelman syndrome used to be called happy puppet syndrome which no one in our community really hmm. likes anymore because it's kind of um, not the nicest of ways to describe it. But the reason yeah. they called it that is that children with Angelman syndrome are pretty much always happy, laughing, clapping, and they tend to hmm. walk with their hands up. And so they look like a, a happy little puppet. Oh, <laughs> is, interesting. Is how that, yeah. And that's actually, so Angelman is the name of the doctor that discovered the syndrome. Okay. And so um, we do like in the community tend to call them our angels, um, yeah. but they can be, they can be little stinkers. So just because they, you know, they're not angelic all the time, um, but it is kind of a, a cute, you know, it's, it's, it's a sweet way to think about our kids to, yeah. to call them angels. And yeah, and it, it's yeah. not because they're angelic. It's because Dr. Angelman is who discovered the syndrome. Yeah. Um, so Miller himself is quite a rare um, genetic mutation of Angelman. So okay. Angelman itself is uh, one in 20,000 live births that we know of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a uh, myriad of ways that Angelman can happen. Um, 70% of kids are a deletion, meaning a large chunk of the 15th chromosome is missing. And for Miller, he, um, like I said earlier, is a mutation and the particular type of mutation he has, there's about 10 kids in the entire country that have his type of mutation, which is interesting. So there's a a boy in 
in California who has the exact same mutation as Miller. So that's kind of interesting. And he's, he's a little bit older than Miller. And so that's, um, you know, kind of cool to see maybe where Miller will end up. But as we all know, genetics is only part of anyone's journey in life. Right. Who they are. um, It's just, it's just kind of interesting because I mean, Angelman is very much a spectrum um, kind of syndrome. And Mm -hmm. so Miller in the scheme of things would be moderate to higher functioning. Um, Some kids with Angelman that have larger deletions are wheelchair bound and tube fed and very um, severely impacted. Mm -hmm. Whereas Miller um, uh, is more functional than a lot of of Angelman kids. And mm-hmm. so we feel really, really blessed with that. Like one mm-hmm. of the the issues with Angelman syndrome is that 90% of children that have Angelman end up having seizures and okay. they can be very, very difficult to treat. And oh. so a lot of families really struggle with that aspect of Angelman syndrome. And we've been very blessed that he, um, he does have seizures. He does have a type of seizures called atonic seizures. Uh, They're also commonly known as drop seizures, um, which he started having when he was three. Mm. Um, But luckily we've been super blessed that um, Keppra is a a common um, seizure medication that's worked really well for him with minimal side effects. And so his seizures are very well controlled. Um, So we're super grateful for that because a lot of, kids with Angelman have very dangerous and life-threatening seizures that um, are really scary. So we're, mm. we're very, very grateful for for Miller's seizure activity being able to be well-controlled. Um, mm. And some children actually outgrow them over time, and we don't know exactly why oh, wow. um, that aspect of Angelman is what it is. But um, So we're hoping that someday he'll be off the medications, but they work fine and he doesn't have side effects, so it doesn't really stress us out too much. We just see a neurologist once a year to make sure he's on the right dose. And mm-hmm. otherwise we're pretty good with that. Yeah. He's, I mean, mm-hmm. he may be, gosh, it's been years since he's had one. Oh, um, okay, sometimes when he, yeah. Once in a while, if he gets sick, um, but I'm they're extremely tired. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing about Angelman syndrome that is difficult is that our kids don't, sleep like normal children. Mm. Uh, so it's not uncommon for kids with Angelman syndrome to sleep two or three hours in a 24 hour period. Sometimes oh they'll go days without sleeping, um, which is, which is extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah. And again, we don't know why they just have this very excitable neurological system, uh, that leads to their hyperactivity and also makes it extremely difficult for them to sleep. So what does that look um, like for you guys? Like on a daily basis, that sounds really difficult. Yeah, it is. You know, we have done a lot of (laughs) good, um, um, we have a really good setup, I guess I would say. Um, Now with Miller, we've, we've kind of streamlined everything. I think the things that we've learned through our journey is good sleep hygiene. So what that looks like is he goes to bed at the same time. He gets up at the same time. His sleep environment is very low stimuli. There is like a blanket, a pillow, and then he's also in an enclosed sleep space. So 
that in and of itself was quite the journey because our insurance company uh, literally told us that Miller's safety is not a medical need. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> wow, that must have been fun. Um, and yeah, and that's part of special needs parenting is really yeah. fighting and advocating for your child. And it's, totally. it's I think, one of the most frustrating aspects of being a special needs parent. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm being the special needs parent of a, of a syndrome that isn't as, as well known. Like if right. we said he has autism, then people are like, oh. Right. But, right. you know, and I think, I think interns and stuff are probably a little more, because there's a larger group that right. have that there's been more advocates throughout the years for that right. particular right. Yes. word yes whereas if you say angel and they're like hey like you know are you trying to trick us like you know it's yeah. just yeah just how inter interns has worked right. but and in totally. other people too you know you, you say he has angel men and there's some people will be like so that's like autism it's like or not autism but that's like um down syndrome yeah. You know, it's like, no, it's mm. no, <laughs> you know, Something. And, yeah. and then as soon as you say chromosome, they're like, oh, so like Down syndrome, I'm like, oh. no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but people try, I mean, that's part of having a child that yeah. has a disability is I yeah. think people just try to make sense of yeah. your child. And when it's something they're unfamiliar with, I think it's just, it's easier for them to kind of want to categorize your child. Yeah. So calling, you know, yeah. And I've learned, actually, I, I had read this article about how the term special needs has been used a lot and that it's kind of almost getting this negative connotation. Oh, mm -hmm. sure. Everyone's kid is special needs right. was kind of what the article was saying that some people are starting to do. So now I've, I've kind of switched my, my verbiage to disabled. Yeah. Um, because that's really, and I, I, I felt really conflicted about it initially because I, the connotation of my son has a disability just seems, it just is sad. To, it hurts my yeah. heart to say that I have yeah. a disabled child because I feel like it has a negative connotation, it's but heavy. I also think that people need to understand it's a disability. It's not a behavioral issue. It's not because we don't parent well. Right. It's, he has a genetic syndrome um, and Miller's hard because he looks typical. Right. People don't, I mean, when you look at our son, he looks like a vibrant, typical eight-year-old child, a little on the thin side because he's literally constantly moving. So we can't get enough calories. <laughs> him. But I mean, it's, he's not visually identifiable as a disabled child. And so right. we've had through our journey as parents, we've had people be very um, not compassionate to mm -hmm. Miller's behavior when he touches them or grabs things or puts things in his mouth. Uh, they, you know, can get a little, you know, like checkers at the grocery store. So oh, I, okay. I tend not to take Miller to the grocery store, partly because yeah. it's my sanity, but well, yeah. especially so currently. Right. Right. Like even in the cart, you can almost you know, if he leans over, he can almost reach both sides and you can put him in the middle of the aisle way. So yeah, yeah. getting so tall. So yeah. it, just, it just becomes a logistical problem. Right. Yeah. But with sleeping, it's like we have, like you said, we have hardly anything in his bed and he has an enclosed bed. So once we put him in his bed, he has room to move around, but he can't get out and he doesn't get out to play. You know, it's not like a normal bed where he's just like, okay. And then he just lays there. Right. He's not going to. Right. Yeah. So it's an enclosed safety bed. And, you know, a lot of it is, to try to get him into a situation that has very little to zero stimuli. Mm -hmm. And then two is just for his own safety and for 
our own sanity so we can sleep and feel that he's safe and he's not in there climbing on top of the bed and, right. or getting yeah. on the shelves or, mm-hmm. you know, opening the window and who knows what. I mean, the older he gets and the stronger yeah. he gets and the bigger, he, it's just, it becomes a more bigger and bigger and bigger concern. And so yeah. he's in an enclosed safety bed. Um, and, you know, that's what works for us. We hear him in there making noise and stuff. We can see him on the security cams on what he's doing. But for the most part, he'll just wake up and mess around and jump around and then he'll go back to sleep and then he'll okay. wake up later and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of been up and down all night with him and all morning. It's like, um, I mean, I get up at 2.40 for work and I'll hear him in there some days. And then by the time I'm done teaching at like six or so in the morning, he might be asleep. And sometimes he's not. It's just, right. you know, it's kind and, of a hit and miss with him. Yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, he kind of knows that because we've been consistent with him about his sleep that if he needs us, he'll cry. He'll mm-hmm. let us know mm-hmm. um, that he needs something. But if uh, it's not something urgent or like a, he needs a diaper change or then he, he's pretty good about going back to sleep. So we, I think I mean, he'll jump, he jumps around on his knees, you know, bounces on his bed. Yeah. And he plays um, with his blanket and his yeah, pillow. He plays with all that. He yeah. plays a little bit of sleep we give him, but. Yeah. yeah. For the most part, he's not, but he also knows what time to get up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he'll kind of start whining. You'll hear him in there whining like, hey, it's time to get up. Right. And yeah. he, he, I mean, I think our consistency has been, has been integral and it's hard. Yeah. It's hard, mm-hmm. but that's like any child as you're raising them, you have to teach them boundaries and you have to teach them that this is the time for this behavior and this is the time for that behavior. And so mm-hmm. I think and yeah. I'm proud of us as parents that we've we've done a good job with that. And Miller's responded mm-hmm. well to um, yeah. guidance, and we've been successful. I feel like in getting him sleep because um, not only is sleep important for like his development and and you know our family's well being in general, but also because it can lower his seizure threshold if he doesn't mm-hmm. sleep. And that was actually how his first seizure happened, as we had gone camping. And he was three and we were still figuring out how best to get him sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he hadn't slept in three days. Yeah, oh my gosh. And um, he just, yeah, he just fell backwards and, you know, and his gait's unsteady on a good day. And so right. we weren't sure if it was just a fall mm-hmm. or what. And then we saw later, just, you know, a little bit later that it was in fact a seizure. And so... Yeah. Oh man. Um, so that's why we're very, you know, meticulous about his sleep hygiene. Yeah. So, and, and we've had to kind of um, be creative about our um, sleep environment for him because the enclosed safety sleep beds um, that are medical grade are $18,000. Oh my gosh. And like I said, um, our in, my insurance company and actually um, Medicaid does not feel that his sleep is, or the sleep environment is a medical necessity, mm-hmm. which I've tried to argue, but um, for oh, years, man. but they, um, so anyway, so we, we converted a loft bed into an enclosed sleep space and um yeah so that's been good and and i've learned that from other you know angelman parents and i think that's one thing that um is so great about blogs like this and um facebook and one of the beautiful things about social media is that you can connect with people Mm. when you have a child 
that has a syndrome or a mutation that nobody has heard of, right. you can still have a community because it's very isolating. I think being a special yeah. needs parent, because mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't understand. It's like the logistics of like, we can't just go find a random babysitter. Right. That's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so even, even family takes a while. Like, I mean, right. we've, we've been together for like five, seven years or yeah, so yeah but even and we don't see my family every every single day but we see them a lot yeah but they're i think they're finally slowly getting to the point that they understand you can't just not watch him it, like yeah. here in our house our house is set up for miller and he knows where he can and can't go and what he should and shouldn't do yeah right. we not, call it miller proof not that he won't <laughs> sneak off and try to do something that he doesn't want to you know like any kid but right. yeah. he knows for the most part but of course somewhere else like you know you, you can't just not watch him. He's super fast. Which and, is super stressful. And for he's us. extremely Aww. smart. So yeah. he will, if he sees something he wants and knows he shouldn't have it. Oh yeah. He will wait for the opportunity. <laughs> it's not like he'll immediately, like he'll mm -hmm. try to get it and you say no. He will, he'll just kind of mingle around and wait for you not paying attention. And then he'll grab it and write in oh, your, man. you know. So it's, it's, <laughs> but finger. like, you know, even, even, <laughs> little even little family bit. trying to be like, you, you have to watch him. Yeah. Okay. No, no, you don't understand. Like you have to watch him. Right. Yeah. Like, and then we like feel bad when him. he, you know, when he ruins, you know, breaks something or, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. scoops a dish onto the ground and the baked cookie, you know, whatever it might be, it can be kind of hard if, if, and yeah. then it also, I mean, we, we really can't go out very often. Um, so we really try to like have our friends come over to our house, but they also have young kids. And so a lot of times I think, you know, it's led to some social isolation. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's hard yeah. because even like that, even with friends and stuff, they don't fully understand. And yeah. And yeah. then if we're, if we don't, if we don't have him in an environment like our house, then one of us is with him all the time. And right. so, you know, like you, go, literally you go visit right family or whatever, you just mm. kind of, you know, a lot of times. Yeah, we'll we'll switch off and on or yeah. what have you. You it's know, right. you take turns. like one person is always playing with Miller and the other person's visiting, and then vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, and I know it probably makes friends feel kind of awkward. Friends mm -hmm. and family feel awkward, like one of them's, you know, one of us is ignoring them, but that's just not what it is. Right. right. And I think they kind of feel like, well, just let him. You know, if people aren't right. familiar with, they're him, like, well, there's yeah. a toy room, just put him in there. Right. You can't do that. No. <laughs> like we're not helicopter parents, so we just have to take care right. of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we just have to keep them safe when in their unfamiliar environments. And mm -hmm. yeah. we we're determined to to not let it clip our wings too much. So we still do things like every summer we go to a national park mm -hmm. and awesome. we have, I think, kind of landed on that it's easier to get an Airbnb close by the parks and then go in. But we have actually oh, okay. like Kent camped with him. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. So we, we, we make it work and yeah. we make the most of our lives to give everyone, all of our children. Um, yeah. And I don't think we mentioned that we have four other children. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. So we're a blended family with five total. Um, and Miller is the baby as far as the birth order. So yeah. it actually, I mean, it kind of works because he just kind of, you know, is, is he's just maturing on a different rate than yeah. the other kids and him being the youngest, I think actually, maybe is a blessing because the other kids are getting older and can kind of mm -hmm. understand and help. And yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think it's good. I think, I think it would be harder for me emotionally if he was 
the older child to see the younger children kind of surpassing him. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. in a way it's kind of a good thing that he's the youngest in the family because it just feels like he's just maturing in a different way, yeah, which kind is of really, him. yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll always be our little, our little baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is a nice little segue into um, the Angelman Foundation. Um, yes. I forgot the exact name of it where they're looking so for a cure. Yes. So there's actually two, we're super blessed um, to have two very passionate organizations that are um, working to assist families with Angelman syndrome. And also one particular group is really actively supporting research to cure Angelman. So um, because we know it's a genetic syndrome and we know it's one very specific um, malformation of the 15th chromosome, it's it's pretty amenable to uh, research and to a potential cure. And mm. um, in the 90s, they were actually able to um, cure it in a rat model. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, which is super exciting. Um, wow. And so there is a lot of hope in the future for a cure for children like Miller. Um, one of the ways that there's a potential for a cure is to turn on the paternal copy of the gene, which is undamaged. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, there's both the Angelman Syndrome Foundation and then Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics is run by Paula Evans out of Chicago. And she is this very passionate mama bear who um, is trying to find a cure. And so Mm. that has been their relentless focus is on curing. Um, Mm. Of course, as a parent with a, a child, I would love for him someday to be able to have functional communication mm-hmm. and a job and children, a family. Um, yeah. As things stand right now, he'll need lifelong care. Um, mm-hmm. And that's yeah. scary as a parent to think that when I'm gone, my children will need to help take care of him and make sure that that he's well taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, retirement planning, I have to, re- you know, we have to plan not just for ourselves but also Miller's future and so it's it's pretty daunting it's daunting to think that I'll have that Miller will have these immense needs that will continue even when we're gone so so the idea of a cure is very tantalizing and and we're just hopeful for that someday Um, and they're doing research this year um they just started a phase one trial for um an actual cure and wow. so it's, it's a pretty invasive um, thing that they, the medication would need to actually go in the cerebral spinal fluid. So the children would need to have um, spinal taps. And so that's a little, mm-hmm. a little daunting for a parent whose child never sits still. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, it's phase one. So it's going to be probably eight to 12 years before we really have a, oh, a good sense of whether it's going to be helpful. Interesting. Um, I'll put a link to the in the show notes to those two foundations in case people are interested in donating and supporting that cause. Um, yes, that would be wonderful. Yes. Yeah, and I was wondering um, when you think of Miller being cured of Angelman syndrome, how do you feel? Like I'm sure you've thought about you know what that might be like. Um, how do you feel like your relationship with him would evolve? 
that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think uh, for me, I desperately want to know him. I think I know him. I think I know, you know, his nonverbal communication with me, his physical touch. I would love to be able to know what his favorite food is. I mean, we just base it on what does he eat the most of when it's in front of him. But I would love to be like, buddy, do you like Alfredo pasta? We think that's what you like, but is that your favorite? Like, is there something else that you like better? You know, just to be able to talk to him about his frustrations, to be able to talk to him about his dreams, to be able to talk to him about what scares him. And, um, well, and for him to, I mean, it's, it's kind of our relationship, but more of just his well-being is for him to be able to have friends. Right. Like we think we know yeah. who his friends are at school. I mean, there's certain mm -hmm. kids that like when you drop him off and they get off the bus, he's excited to see him. Yeah. But, you know, is, like, is that person he would pick as a friend? Because right. you know, that's another part of it is that you just never know if they really have friends. Yeah. And, you know, what that's like. And then. And he doesn't you know, he go can't. to birthday parties. He doesn't. You know. So I guess, I guess, you know, the most of what we're saying in relational wise is comes down to communication. That's kind of what, mm -hmm. what I'm most excited about. Yeah. If, if there is a cure, is that then he can actually better communicate with us and not just communicate mm -hmm. like, I want that, I want this. Look, it's sunny outside or I want to ride the bike. But communication like, you know, how was your day? It was yeah. fantastic. Like that other level of communication, not yeah. the, not the very remedial level of communication I want this I need this I don't like mm -hmm. this I like this to the next level of you know I really like to go for bike rides or I don't want to do that right now or mm -hmm. you know I More had a good a day at school or yeah, yeah. a deeper connection that it's I that, think we long for yeah you know that's the part and I think the toughest part with with it and you know this is probably just I what I always think about being a teacher is that and then a teacher of language is that he, I think he has all of the information inside. So if we, if we cured it and unlock that, there would still be a large learning curve of him getting the motor skills to make the sounds for us to understand the words. So right. I think the vocabulary, the vocabulary is there because you can tell him to do something. And he knows what you're talking about. Like you can tell okay. him lay down, he'll lay down. He, he recognizes, you know, he recognizes his words and he understands yeah. what you're saying. But for him to regurgitate it that learning curve would be pretty steep um mm -hmm. so there's there's that hurdle that we would have to deal with when it is cured but at least you would be on the track at that point mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um i also i would love to go back to to when you first um recognized that something was different about miller so when you first got his diagnosis and that whole journey so miller I knew something was different with Miller as soon as he was born. Um, he came out and had this very atraumatic, smooth delivery. Everything went great. He just went skin to skin and screamed for four hours straight. He oh was gosh. completely inconsolable. And I, you know, being a labor and delivery nurse, I was worried that he, he like, broke a collarbone or like, what's wrong? Like something has to be really wrong, mm. you know? And the pediatrician said, no, he's just kind of a fussy baby and you know, it's okay. Um, and then mm. as an infant, he would cry 
on average about 20 hours a day. I started keeping logs to really quantify for the doctor. Because I, I think, you know, I, I have compassion for doctors because they hear that's such a common complaint that a yeah. lot of new parents come in saying is my baby cries all the time. Yeah. And I, you know, it was my third baby. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. Um, mm-hmm. And so I felt like I had, I knew babies. I knew. Right. And so something was just fundamentally different with Miller and he was, um, fussy in a way that was not normal right Uh, and so that lasted he would only ever sleep 45 minutes at a time I mean I could set a a timer to it Mm. um and then it got a little better when he was about two months old but they were concerned because he wasn't gaining weight like a typical baby oh and he had, he was difficult to feed. I had breastfed my other children and had, a, I, I'm also an international board certified lactation consultant. So um, I knew what was normal and what wasn't. And he was yeah. very coordinated and really struggled um, to, to nurse. Um, mm-hmm. So that was scary. And they, you know, were telling me to give him formula. And I'm like, I'm not going to give him formula. It's not that's not the issue. Um, and so, uh, you know, they were kicking around failure to thrive diagnoses and, and things of that nature, but we did, you know, finally figure out how to get him to transfer and, and milk. And, you know, we, we were Mm -hmm. able to kind of get things settled and he was doing okay. Um, but I, from day one knew that something was different about Miller. And so, um, and I kept, you know, telling our doctor my concerns and he's like, well, there, I see what you're saying, but there's not enough here to test. There's, you know, it's just this global, oh. global delays. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he wasn't gaining weight. And so, you know, it was just, it was just kind of like, let's just wait and see. Okay. Um, and there was, it's funny because again, just like people, I think want to categorize your child as, as, something like whether it's autistic or something that they they can really like wrap their head around I think Mm -hmm. there was a lot of oh he's just your third baby you hold him too much you don't hold him enough you don't do this you should do that oh well I didn't talk till I was six and I'm just fine so there was a lot of people around me just kind of minimizing and trying to normalize what we were experiencing and I I found that very frustrating. I'll be honest. I found it very Mm. frustrating and like people were being dismissive. And in hindsight, now I understand that they were just, it makes people uncomfortable when you have this kind of unknown with your child. And so they just want to make it okay by saying things like, Oh, well, that's normal. That's fine. Um, And I just remember being very frustrated by that. So when Miller was finally diagnosed when he was 20 months old, Kind of funny he would have been diagnosed earlier but there was an error in the lab they did the the most common test for angelman syndrome which was negative because he is he's not a deletion he's a mutation of the 15th okay. chromosome um and so there was about a four-month delay in diagnosis um because of that so oh. we had gone to the neurologist and the neurologist was very confident um, that he had Angelman syndrome based on, on his appearance, based on 
our complaints and concerns. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that first appointment with a neurologist uh, at Children's in Seattle. And she had rattled off all these things that she was going to test Miller for. And she just kind of, as an aside, you know, and we'll test for Angelman syndrome. And I remember Angelman sticking with me because everything else was like polyethylene glycol, blah, 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 <laughs> like all these words that I was like, Meh. and then yeah. Angelman syndrome. And so I remember that first appointment, I came home afterwards and I was like, oh, what was some of the stuff she said? Oh yeah, 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 that angel, angel, angelman syndrome. And I remember going to the ASF, the Angelman Syndrome Foundation website and just sobbing, looking, mm. because I knew, I knew that's what he had. I mean, I was looking at the children on the website and they, they do, I think the website at the time had more of the severely impacted children kind of okay. in like the clips and such. And so that just mm -hmm. was really gut wrenching to me. Cause at the time, you know, he was only, I think 16 months old about when we first okay. went to the neurologist and, um, to think that that was my child's future was really, really hard, yeah. you know, cause they were talking about how they're nonverbal and many, and most don't walk and, or, you know, tube bed and seizures. It was just very overwhelming, but I, there was just some visceral part of me is like, that's what he has. And I remember just mm. sobbing. Well, then the genetics came back three weeks later and they told us he didn't have it, oh. which was, I was like, oh, yay. Not mm. knowing that they needed to run the second test and that right. he didn't have a deletion. He just, yeah. Um, and so it was later when we followed up at the genetics clinic that they ran the second test and it was, it was really hard. They, so my husband at the time, Sean's not the biological father of, of Miller, but um, my, uh, his Miller's father and I were going through a divorce and were separated. And I remember getting a call from the MA of the genetics clinic at five o'clock on a Friday night and being told in a very no nonsense way, so Miller does have Angelman syndrome, but the office is busy. Uh, we won't be able to get you in for three weeks. Uh, oh my so gosh. the next nearest date. And so I dropped the phone, I'm sobbing. And the MA was just dumbfounded as to why I was having such a hard time with this. And she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay mm. at all. And so I didn't, you know, I followed up with uh, the nurse practitioner after that point and just kind of begged them to, to be, to, to deliver that kind of news in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how many, I mean, it, it sounds like that's kind of an unusual that most of the time when you get these kind of diagnoses, it's in a clinic visit and with a, a, a knowledgeable professional, not like some right. random office staff, but yeah, I'm not sure why our, our delivery was less than ideal, but, um, yeah. and I think, you know, once we were diagnosed, it brought a lot of really strong emotions. I felt relief to finally mm. know that I'm not crazy, that it yeah. isn't something that he's just going to grow out of, that I was right all along. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was vindicating. It was, um, a, 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 there was a sense of peace that came with it and kind of acceptance. And then there was a tidal wave of fear and anxiety that came yeah. with it, knowing that he most likely was going to have seizures. I 
just had an extraordinarily hard time with anxiety and insomnia because I was constantly watching the baby monitor. I was very fearful that I was going to miss him having a seizure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was those first few months after diagnosis were excruciating, but we also then a trajectory that we were on. We had a path more or less. We had specialists to see. I suddenly had a community, mm-hmm. which was huge, yeah. huge, huge, huge to have a community um, because it just, it's, it's just overwhelming and frightening. And a lot of doctors haven't even heard of it. Yeah. And so just, you feel like kind of alone on this island bereft and you're trying to figure out how best to, to support your child. And so it, it's, it's that diagnosis was, yeah, in a very intense time in my life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sean, what was it like when you first met Miller and he, he became a part of your life? Uh, I didn't see him. I mean, I knew that he, because we met at church um, and I was working in the kids' rooms. So I was watching his brothers and, you know, I would see him now and then. Every now and then I'd be in the younger group and I would um, see him. That's how, you know, Candace and I met through that way. But I didn't, I grew up with a lot of kids around me. I mean, I was, I only have one sister, but my mom always had an in-home daycare and she still does. And so I always had different kids around infants, whether it be cousins or anything, I have a huge family, extended family. Um, and I'm one of the oldest in that extended family. So kids have always been something that I've been around. Um, and I knew that he was different, like there was something there, but it's, it's never been anything that I've even really thought about. It's just like Miller is Miller Mm. and you just have to, he's just a different it's just different. I mean, every kid is different. And I just see him as an, as another kid. That's just different. It's not, I don't know. It's never been an issue for me, which is, which is interesting. We went to a gala, which fast has a huge gala where, you know, parents come every year in Chicago in December went um, one year and they have researchers are there and talking about what they've done throughout the year and everything and then they have this big fancy dinner and dancing and all this stuff that's for parents just the community to kind of mm-hmm. come together but i remember there we weren't married yet um i think we'd only been together maybe a year or two years and i was there and i'm you know obviously i'm very much in love with her and therefore very much in love with the kids and welcoming mm-hmm. this family and everything and there's this husband he was a bio dad to one of them and subsequently him and his wife have been divorced but like he, the entire weekend, I think we were there for three, four days. Mm-hmm. Once he first met me, it was early on. Like every time he saw me, he was just absolutely dumbfounded that I would even choose, like why I wouldn't see that he had Angelman and just run the other way. Like yeah. he had no, he, he couldn't wrap his head around it. And he's the bio dad to one, but he, mm-hmm. he just, he really struggled with that. And I've never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just been it's, such a huge blessing for me. I mean, yeah. it's just, Wow. Yeah. It's just, I mean, all the it's diagnosis amazing. and everything that she was talking about, like I wasn't there for that, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was fairly, I mean, it only been diagnosed for shortly. I think we'd had maybe a year, I want to say, cause he was, he was 20 months when we got diagnosed. So, so a lot of the learning has, you know, we've kind of done simultaneously and yeah. of course, if he's growing and everything together, but 
you know, just, I mean, back to your question, it's, I, I don't have an exciting answer. The exciting answer is he's just another kid that I love and he's just different and every kid is mm. absolutely different. And I think, mm. you know, obviously I think a lot of that has to do with just the talents that God has given me and the, the way that I view children. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I am a teacher as well. So you know, I've taught third grade and seventh grade and now I teach kids internationally, but it's, he's just, a, he's just another kid and just happens mm -hmm. to have what he has and you just have to deal with it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. like you, you can't get fixated on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I think, otherwise I think you get bogged down. If yeah. you get too fixated on this thing that he has that makes him different and then how is it different and you get too fixated on it, you're just spinning your wheels and getting yourself frustrated. You just can't do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Love that. Well, um, I'd love to wrap up with um, kind of your overall, your love for Miller um, from each of you, how much, I guess that's kind of what you just shared too, Sean. Um, but just, um, yeah. Tell me more about how much you love Miller. Um, so yeah, there I mean, is. Because I mean, we even talked about the you know the disorder and everything itself, but you know they they, they are a unique person, mm -hmm. and they have their own personality for yeah. sure. I mean, I I think if I could just like sum Miller up in a phrase or a, a word, I would just say joy. Yeah. I mean, he just is like this little ball of sunshine and joy, and everybody that he meets he just if they will give him the space and the you know patience to interact with him he just loves people and he loves interacting with people and he loves sharing things with you and showing things to you and um he's just this happy little ray of sunshine in everyone's life that he meets and all his therapists Yep. And his teachers just love interacting with him because he is just a joy to work with. He, you know, don't get me wrong. It's difficult because he, you know, right. can be pretty obstinate and, you know, he, he does not like to sit still. So when we're trying to do fine motor work or working on communication, he can get a little frustrated or restless, but I mean, he's just joy. He's just joy personified. He's just mm. happy and silly and funny and has a very twisted sense of humor. <laughs> he does. He, it's funny. He loves villains. He thinks villains <laughs> in movies are yeah. hilarious. They're the best thing. If anyone if anyone cries in a movie, he thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> the more sad the music, I mean all those cues that yeah. you know filmmakers give you to yeah. know that there's yeah. the emotion you should be feeling you should be feeling down or sad mm -hmm. he's over there just laughing yeah so it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of yeah it's so kind of ironic but but he just he just yeah he just loves everybody and he wants to have physical contact with you and he mm -hmm. wants to hug you and yes yeah, sometimes lick you or <laughs> give kisses he, he's yeah. very social yeah and you can see social. like his teachers mm -hmm. and therapists and and friends and family yeah. like when he recognizes them you can see his face light up but yeah. they also their face lights up too right and even on zoom calls like you know because we're not going to school right now 
we have Zoom calls every week with this teacher and his classmates and stuff. And you can see he gets excited, they get excited mm -hmm. to see him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very so very loving little guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing about Miller and your of journey. Of course, with him. our pleasure. You're welcome. For photos of Miller and his family, as well as the mini doc about him, head to therarelifepodcast.com. Please share this podcast with anyone you know that could benefit from it. Let's spread the love. Don't miss episode 15 as Candace and Sean share things that they've learned about communicating with their nonverbal child. See you then.